What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a Baseball America podcast. Uh, today we're going to talk some summer league ball. Uh, I'm Hudson Belinsky. With me is Teddy Cahill. Teddy, uh, you had the, the pleasure of doing the, the Cape Top 30 and the, the Team USA Top Prospects Initial impressions, I guess, if we want to start off with the Cape stuff that's a little bit fresher, a little bit newer. Uh, initial impressions of the Cape this le- the Cape League this year. Well, yeah, this uh, this list is uh, a, you know an exciting one to do every summer here at Baseball America. This is my first time getting to do it, but you know it's uh, really the one of the it and the Team USA list and the rest of our summer league lists are are kind of the kicking off to um, looking ahead to the next year's draft class and, and college season in general. Um, you know, so this year's Cape list, uh, topped by Nick Senzel of uh, Tennessee. But overall, the Cape maybe was a little down in talent this year. Uh, that was kind of the impression uh, that scouts got from, from their time up there. And it was especially maybe lacking a, uh, you know, just the, the kind of, top of the draft pitcher that, that they often get up there. You know, Jeff Hoffman a couple years ago really really made a name for himself on the Cape and was kind of catapulting from that appearance uh, or, or that performance to, you know, top three, top five status going into the year uh, before he, you know, needed Tommy John surgery. But that kind of player wasn't really there this year. A lot of the pitchers, uh, the elite pitchers uh, played with Team USA. We got to see a lot of them here, which was good for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Team USA complex not too far away, and so they spent their summer there. Or you know, some of them just sat out the summer, as often happens. You know, guys, there are a lot of Indians in their college spring, and you know, they just need to take the summer to uh, to rest up and, and get stronger. Mm-hmm. And and to to that end, there there are guys with with stuff. But they they lack that that sort of front front line kind of ability. There's and then there's there's a guy like like Eric Lauer, who's not going to blow you away on the radar gun, but can really pitch and you know has does have decent stuff. Not that he doesn't have good stuff, but isn't sort of that like that kind of guy you think of in a top three to top five kind of discussion. Right. I mean, like last year, the number one prospect uh, for the Baseball America list was Walker Buehler and. You know, that's the kind of guy, you know, that guy, uh, you know, he's a little lesser than Hoffman probably, but, you know, that's still a, you know, if he had been healthy uh, the whole year, uh, that guy's top half of the, the first round for sure, um, it felt like. And, you know, that, that guy wasn't there. Eric Lauer is a great pitcher from Kent State and a potential first rounder, 
but he doesn't quite have the look of a, a top 10, top 15 guy. You know, and even Matt Crook uh, from Oregon, who is the top-ranked pitcher for, for us on this list at, at number four, um, you know, there are a lot of questions about him because he's missed the last year with Tommy John, and he was severely limited workload-wise on the Cape. You know, so the stuff is there, but he's going to have to prove more. And, I mean, it's plausible he could pitch his way higher if he, uh, you know, shows stuff over extended outings. Uh, but, you know, right now it's hard to hard to put that on him. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's sort of the thing. I mean, I think that in in that same tier of discussion, uh, the next pitcher who is ranked is, is Jordan Sheffield. And I think in terms of raw stuff, Sheffield is in that that discussion as a, a guy who can, you know, when I saw him up on the Cape, he was up to 98 even in the late innings, power breaking ball, some feel for the changeup. The thing is, it's not... It doesn't all come together at the same time. He's not consistently throwing it for quality strikes. So he, he's in that, that that same kind of discussion with, with a guy who, I mean, the other issue is he's he's a six-foot right-hander. Well, and that he uh, is, had Tommy John himself. You know, right. He um, had it before Crook had it. Uh, he missed his freshman year versus missing his sophomore year. So he's he wasn't quite as limited. But, uh, you know, there, there's that. There's the six-foot right-handed. And there's the fact that he has struggled with control throughout his uh, throughout his his career. Uh, it was bad on the wasn't great on the Cape. wasn't great in the spring. It was bad in the spring. Six point five walks per nine at Vanderbilt this spring. Um, so you know, he has questions to answer, but the stuff is there. Right, and and the thing with him is that you know the coming off of Tommy John, you expect the the coming in and control to be the last things that do come back. But to that end, this is a guy who's who doesn't have a, a great track record of command, even before mm-hmm. Tommy John. And this is he was a high profile guy out of high school as well. I mean it's it's not that he was necessarily terrible command, but I mean it's not like he, he had it and he lost it either. So I mean then I, I think we sort of get I mean I think you could include Dakota Hudson in that discussion, but I think it, it sort of starts to see a tier down after that when we look at just the guys on the Cape list. Yeah, I mean, Dakota Hudson has uh, has really good stuff. Uh, you know, he has some of the same questions as Sheffield, uh, but without the health questions. Uh, but the, the command has been an issue for him as well, and he just hasn't been able to break through that much at Mississippi State. It's just 34 innings in two years at Mississippi State. Uh, you know, so that's not... It's not ideal, and his fastball is not as um, you know doesn't doesn't hit the same high velocity that, that Sheffield does. So yeah, I mean there, there's uh, some separation there, and um, you know, but the, these are these are the guys that we're talking about as the as the top arms and um, in, in the Cape, and that's just not quite at the level uh, to what we've been conditioned to expect from from that league. Yeah, I mean the. There's again, there's there's guys who who do a lot of things for you, but don't quite do everything for you, and that that's I think generally going to be the name of the game in amateur in sort of the amateur draft in that arena, um, or even coming up through the minor leagues. But uh, you do kind of hope to see one or two guys kind of push themselves forward with a good summer, have that track record. I mean, 
there's just there's there's a knock on everybody as this is often the case but then on the the back towards the back of this list there's a, a couple guys both on the on the pitching and the the offensive side who don't quite jump out at you stuff wise or tools wise but really performed this summer i think the kind of the the perfect embodiment of that is Mitchell Jordan who ranks number 26th on the the Cape list, which you can read and get full details on on baseballamerica.com. But Jordan, for you, that that's a tough guy to rank. I mean, nothing super explosive about him, but good command, really good command. Yeah, so Mitchell Jordan went up there, and uh, he just he dealt. And the, the stats are incredible. He went 6-0 and with a 0-21 ERA that matches the league's modern-day record set in 1996 by Eric Milton. 46 strikeouts, 6 walks, 17 hits allowed in 43 innings. Leads the league in ERA, opponent batting average, and whip. Like, that's a summer. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, the problem is that he doesn't throw very hard at all. Uh, you know, his fastball was often more 88 to 90. He did touch a little bit higher at times, but um, you know, it's not overpowering. Uh, his changeup and his curveball are both, you know, they're they're solid pitches, average average offerings, uh, but they're not they're not wipeout, they're not plus. Um, he doesn't have a whole lot of deception. What he does is he he understands pitching really well. He commands the strike zone exceptionally, but with them, you know that that's great. But it doesn't provide a lot of margin for error, uh, and so he's going to be one that that scouts are very interested in seeing this spring. Uh, but he's going to have to. Or he he he's the look of a guy that's going to need to prove it at every level. Yeah, and and. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. The start that I saw from from Jordan on the Cape, it was, you know, I actually saw him strike out some of the better hitters in this league, and and the way he does that is he can hit, he can really really hit those bottom corners, glove side and arm side, with either either of his three offerings. The I would say his best offering. I mean, it's it's hard to even think about what his best offering is. They're they're all kind of in that. 50 range as far as tools project on the 2080 scale the the curveball i will say at times just because of how late it does break is probably the best one i mean but it, it doesn't kind of jump in your face as a plus pitch it's just sort of a, a difficult pitch to square up and that's sort of the the whole thing with him is that there is no in your face plus but at the same time he's got this this track record now of a couple of really good summers. He was good in the NECBL last summer, and he's been good at school. It, he's been good, not this good. This good. Like, right, uh, right. It's been good at school, um, which is which is good. Good's good. <laughs> but then the next guy right after him on the list, the I mean, he does have his fans. He certainly does. This is Andrew Kalika, uh, UC Santa Barbara outfielder, who hit. He hit. I mean, you want to talk about guys that were tough to rank. Mitchell Jordan was, was difficult. Andrew Kalika was impossible, basically. Because mm-hmm. what Andrew Kalika did on the Cape was almost unprecedented. He hit 425 this summer. That is the best batting average since the Cape went back to using wood bats in 1985. He's the first person 
to hit 400 or better on the Cape in 25 years. It's like the, the fifth highest batting average in the league's modern era, which dates to, I believe, 1960 or so. Um, so it's a really loud batting average, but it's kind of empty. The rest of the slash line is 480, 469. It's a lot of singles. And he knows what he's he, like. Like Jordan, he knows what he's doing. He knows who he is. He's got good speed, and he beats the ball into the ground or hits line drives, and he gets on base. That that's who he is, and he's he's difficult, um, you know, to figure out. Is he a center fielder? Uh, if he is, that that's that's great for his profile. Uh, if he's not a center fielder, that's that's a little bit tougher to profile a guy like that in the corner. And complicating all of that is that he took a red shirt, uh, a medical red shirt, in his freshman year. So he was eligible for the draft this year as a red shirt sophomore, and he went completely unpicked. And Santa Barbara, I believe, had the most players drafted of any college this year. So it's not and like it's not like he didn't get seen. Dylan Tate is on that team. Everybody saw Dylan Tate because Dylan Tate's the number four overall pick. That was a team. That I mean, there's. It's not like that people saw him and, and said, it didn't realize that he wasn't eligible. I mean, people saw him. Then and the thing is that, just the way the ball comes off the bat doesn't doesn't excite you. You don't you don't really like if you're watching him. You don't realize that he's he's doing this until you look at the stat sheet and. There are, there, it's not that he has no tools. He's just more of a college-level player. I mean, it just seems like more of a college-level bat. I mean, the, the batted ball profile is more soft, high-trajectory flies or ground balls, you know, through the through the sides of the infield. And so to rank at that kind of bat, it doesn't jump in your face as a, you know, as a plus bat, but that's a, that's a plus batting average. I mean, he hit uh, in the sprint for Santa Barbara, too. I mean, he hit yeah. 329 yeah. Uh, for UCSB. And, um, I mean, he was kind of a guy coming out of high school. He made the top 200 in 2012. Um, but, I mean, he's he's just been a been a puzzle. And, uh, you know, guys are going to go in and see him in the spring. That's, that's for sure. They're going to try and, and figure this out again. But, uh, you know, for now, uh, he, was, he was one of the bigger, you know, bigger puzzles. And guys just didn't... Did not did not think that this was coming. So uh, it, and and the thing about it, look, as much as we we do put value in performance, there the the samples on on the Cape are so small that it's it's plausible for somebody to have success there without the tools matching that success over over the course of a long season or a career. It's less it's significantly less likely that you can have success without tools, but in a hundred or a couple hundred at bats, you can get away with some things. I mean, he barely qualified for the batting title because he got to the Cape a little late. He only got 113 at bats. I mean, that's not that's not a large sample at all. Mm-hmm. And and to that end, the 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 sort of the battle, the, the we don't have a, I guess like a a great feel for for really the some of these guys who didn't have qualify. Some of these guys who were, uh, you know, who played a lot for Team USA, or who had, a, you know, went deep into the College World Series and showed up to the Cape late, 
the these guys have even smaller samples. But in your mind, who are some of the guys who who didn't quite qualify because of either they didn't have enough bat at bats or innings who otherwise would have been you know pretty good fits for this list? Yeah, the Cape is kind of unique among our summer lists in that it actually does have like eligibility standards um, because you know it there are there are a lot more players that that come to the Cape uh, and you know we just we really just want to make sure that that guys have had been on the Cape long enough that scouts have had time to see them. Uh, that that's why we have the eligibility standards for the Cape lists, um, and so some of the guys that, that didn't make it because they weren't there long enough. Uh, you, you're looking at a guy, guys like, um, you know, Kilichowski from Vanderbilt, left-hander. Um, you know, he shows up a little late because of, uh, you know, Vanderbilt's deep run into the, the, the College World Series. Uh, Will Toffey, his, his teammate at Vanderbilt, uh, shows up late and then gets hurt, so he goes home early. Right. So, you know, he was, he was very limited. Um, Bryson Brigman, uh, San Diego infielder, um, was on the Cape. Then he went to go play for Team USA. He, unlike a lot of guys, went back to the Cape, but then got injured. Uh, and so he, he left early, didn't, did play a whole lot ultimately on the Cape. Eli White, uh, Clemson shortstop, leaves early due to injury. Kel Johnson. Pretty, pretty gruesome injury. Yeah, uh, Eli White's injury is uh, a tough one. Uh, Kel Johnson, Georgia Tech outfielder, um, who was uh, just setting the college baseball on fire as a freshman at the start of the spring. Uh, then he broke his ankle, and he came back to play for Georgia Tech near the end of the season, uh, but he took some time off to really get that ankle fully healed at the start of the summer. So he got to the Cape very late and uh, didn't quite make did not quite get enough at bats to. Yeah, to I mean, get on this list. He, he also didn't quite have the the explosiveness when he was there. He, uh, that I mean, you he can, had shown previously. He'd taken, uh, I guess, it was about two months ultimately off from seeing live pitching, right. and uh, it's very difficult to take that much time off and then then come back and, and be looking anything close to your best. Um, so, Kel Johnson, you know, is just starting to to get back really from that injury, and we'll see what he can do in the spring. Right, and he's he's gonna correct me if I'm wrong. He's gonna be a draft eligible. He is sophomore. eligible, yes. So as is Bryson Brinkman, as is Toffee, Toffee also a draft eligible sophomore. Uh, the that's it's that that kind of brings me to the next point, which is not necessarily draft eligible sophomores, but sophomores in general. There's it was a pretty good year for 2017 guys. Not not certainly not a banner year, but a handful, a couple of guys made the top 30. A couple other pretty interesting guys, just from a, a raw tools perspective. Yeah, um, Toffee's teammate Jaron Kendall, Vanderbilt outfielder, uh, is the the top freshman uh, rising sophomore that that makes the list. Um, you know, he's he's exciting, uh, very very fast, uh, has more power than you you'd think. He uh, hit a walk off homer in the College World Series. Uh, you know, so a lot of a lot of people got to see some of that pop, but you know, you just look at look at him, and he's uh, you know you don't think power when you see him, but he's got it's in there. Yeah, I mean the the hand speed, the the fast twitch ability. He's not this, you know. He's not. I mean, there's sort of like a a good uh, happy medium with size for for hitters that I don't think he quite falls into. I mean, 
when you, you look at guys who are like six six with long arms and have a you know more difficult time controlling the bat, or getting to low pitches. He doesn't have that. He's got the opposite problem. He's five foot ten, where he's he's kind of more much more compact and it's the hand speed is there, but is he really going to destroy pitching or destroy a ninety five mile an hour fastball on a consistent basis? We'll see. I mean, there's there's plenty of time to figure that out. Um, but sort of that sweet spot is like, you know, like a six foot to six three kind of thing, and that kind of brings me to our top prospect in the league, who doesn't he's not going to blow you away. He's not six foot five, but he's you know he has size, he has physicality, and he can hit. Nick Senzel. Nick Senzel. Um had a really, really strong summer. Uh, if Kalika had fallen short of qualifying, and uh, again, he was very, it was it was a close run thing. He, he only got officially qualified for the batting title within the last week of the season. And if he hadn't, Nick Senzel would have won the batting title. Mm-hmm. He's a career 320 hitter at Tennessee. He goes to the Cape. He hits 364, 418, 558. Leads the league in hits, OPS, RBIs, runs, second in the batting race. Um, wins the MVP, scores the winning run in the All-Star game. He really he did it all this summer. And he's got, got these quick hands that everyone talks about that he just he finds a way to, to put the barrel on the ball. And his hands are a big part of that, that they just can turn on, on almost anything. Mm-hmm. And, and that allows him to drive the ball to, to all fields. You know, he, he's, a, he's a real all-fields hitter. And, uh, you know, there's, there's some power in there. He didn't show it. He doesn't show it in home run hitting right now. Uh, that's been true both at Tennessee and, at, and this summer on the Cape. Uh, you know, but guys say it's there. You know, they see it in BP and that, you know, it may, it may take a little bit of a mechanical adjustment to unlock. Maybe it's, uh, you know, a... An approach adjustment to, to say I, I can attack these pitches to drive out or maybe maybe it's just something that'll come naturally but eventually there is a belief that he will hit for more home runs yeah I mean the to respond to that the the I saw I saw probably five games of Brewster and he was the he was playing third base for Brewster and in batting practice like he's he's the guy you you want that guy. I mean, it, you're talking bombs to both gaps, to both power alleys. He's, I mean, he can stay back on one and drive it with authority to the opposite field. And, and he has that unique ability to spray true line drives to the opposite field. Not people say, okay, this guy's an opposite field hitter. And most of the time that means they're going to hit more duck farts, high trajectory balls off off the bat to, towards the opposite field, where Senzel, a right-handed hitter who can hit it with low trajectory and authority to all fields, and when you when you ask him, hey, Nick, hit a home run right now in batting practice, oh, yeah, he can rip it 420 out to center. So there's no doubt power in there. I think what I think it is is that he's, his approach is more geared to, towards line drives. And so you can even see... Uh, a video on our site where he stays back on a, a breaking ball from uh, Cody Sedlock and drives it to the left center gap for a double. Whereas if he were a little bit more aggressive with that and trying to really trying to yank that, 
he could have pulled something like that out of the ballpark, no doubt. I mean, but but you see that, and it's reflected in his numbers that he's a, a line, a true line drive guy, not just a not a soft line drive guy. There are plenty of those guys in this league, even. I mean, guys who weren't even close to this list, I would say, who are soft line drive guys. But this is authoritative contact. The one concern coming out of the summer with with Senzel is uh, where he's going to play. He's he played third base, he played second base, he played first base for Brewster. He's played more second base for Tennessee. Um, he may play third base this year for them. We'll see. We'll see how their their infield shakes out. Um, so some scouts feel like he's a third baseman. He'll be just fine over there. Some see an offensive second baseman. Some just say, put him in left field, let him hit, because that's what he does best. He'll be fine out there, too. Uh, you know, so there's a, there's a little bit of question there, but uh, you're, really, you're looking at the bat, and wherever he settles, uh, the belief is that, that he'll profile and that it won't be, won't be an issue. Uh, but that is something to watch going forward. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing with Senzel, Senzel and that, I'm probably going to say that wrong a million times, going forward but coming out of high school he's he's no people knew who he was he went to uh, Farragut in Knoxville this is not a guy who's popped up this year when he was in high school he was a little bit thinner he didn't quite have when you look at him now he's like a truck I mean he he's built now and at what point is he going to slow down is he going to slow down because he's still an above average runner has quick feet has arm strength he has the tools to potentially stick at either one of those infield positions. I mean, I would say just based on raw foot speed, he's more of a, a third base profile than you know an up-the-middle profile. But at what point is he going to slow down if he does? Yeah, he's listed at 6'1", 205, uh, and he's more of an average runner right now, mm-hmm. which is fine for either one of those positions. But, um, I mean, you do have to, to wonder about that uh, and, and – Guys are trying to trying to figure out figure that out, and um, you know we'll we'll see we'll see. I, it'll be very interesting to see where Tennessee puts him this spring. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he does have the tools, but it's it's going to be so much fun to watch with him because as you're bearing down on him defensively, you get to see him hit, which is fun to watch. Unlike many people in the, many prospects in this class, who who do a lot of different things but don't really hit the way that he does. And that's why he's number one on this list. Is You've said it before, the, the bat's going to play. Um, but to, to kind of shift gears a little bit, uh, some other things we, we wanted to talk about. There are some, some guys missing from this list and missing from the Team USA list, guys who are, are big-time college draft prospects. And the reason they're not here is because they didn't play this summer. The, I think the, the, the top example of that is Alec Hansen, the Oklahoma right-hander who has nasty stuff. Absolutely. I mean, that's a guy that people would have been very excited to, to watch, uh, that they'll be very excited to watch when he does take the mound again, uh, fall ball, and then the spring. You know, he, he brings a lot of gas, throws 100. Um, you know, so he's, uh, he's one of the top pitchers in this class, and he sat the summer out. Um, which is absolutely fine. That's not that's not a knock on him at all. Uh, it, it's just uh, 
one less guy that, that uh, scouts were able to watch this summer. Another one that, that shut it down after the College World Series was Connor Jones, Virginia's ace. Um, he had a long season, February to the end of the College World Series. You know, that's a, that's a long time to be pitching. Uh, so he was scheduled to go to Team USA, uh, but opted not to um, after, you know, after the season ended. Uh, so we'll see him again in the spring. And, um, you know, with all that Virginia lost from that team, there will be a lot on his shoulders. So it'll be interesting to see how he responds to that and uh, just how he looks in general, because that's a guy that, that uh, scouts are, are going to be very interested in, uh, in, in seeing and, and uh, picking potentially very high uh, next June. Yeah, I mean, Connor Jones, I think if you see Connor Jones for the right inning, you're you're like, whoa, th- this is incredible stuff. And not just the 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 pop of of either individual pitch, just the fact that he can come at you heavy, moving fastball, good slider, feel for his changeup, more of a get me over curveball, but Four pitches that he throws that he can throw for strikes at times with late movement. A great idea on the mound. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, he's the kind of guy who, if he puts it all together, I think I don't think he quite fits into that one-one discussion, but certainly a, a first-round type of candidate. Um, whereas Hanson, Hanson, a, a guy who's maybe the track record isn't isn't there as far as it is for like a guy like Jones, who people have known about for quite some time, but Hanson. You're talking about a guy who can reach back into the upper 90s with a really good slider. He's going to be really, really important to, to follow. I would say everything he, every pitch he throws is going to be scrutinized in the spring. Yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see how people compare him to John Gray, mm-hmm. and that's a little lazy. Uh, you know, as Oklahoma, you know Oklahoma right-handers who throw really hard and um, are a little lacking on track record, but uh, you know that. It'll be interesting to see how that, that all plays out. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just Oklahoma in general, I guess, there's not not, not the not necessarily the team, but the state. Oklahoma State, a couple guys who are candidates for this, the Cape 30 list. Well, Garrett one, Williams one guy made, who it. made it. Yeah. Garrett Williams. Garrett Williams is a, uh, an exciting pro- prospect in his own right in terms of, I mean, he's not the most physical guy on the mound. And just you look at him, he's kind of, he's rather unassuming. But he has pretty nasty stuff. And that's a guy that people have known about for a really long time. I mean, you may, you casual fan may remember him as a Little League World Series star. Um, mm-hmm. In 2007, he struck out 17 guys in Williamsport. And, uh, you know, I mean, scouts have been following him since then. And, uh, you know, he's he made this list a year ago. Um, and he's just been a little inconsistent at Oklahoma State. And... Uh, you know, but the stuff is there. Like he's he's got really good stuff from the left-handed side. Um, you know, plus curveball, 90-93 with life on his fastball. Um, you know, it, it's just a matter of figuring out the command. Like so many of these guys, uh, you know, he averaged six walks per nine this summer. Uh, it's been an ongoing issue uh, at Oklahoma State. But if he can figure it out, I mean. An athletic three-pitch left-hander, like guys like that, don't come around very often. Right, and I think, I think, and that's something that we've talked about in terms of making lists like this, and something that John Manuel says often is: the further you get away from the big leagues, the more that more stock you should put into ceiling. And you want to talk about ceiling? 
this guy could be a middle-of-the-rotation dude. He could he could also end up in the bullpen, but the upside for this guy is big. This guy could be there. This guy could be – and you could see this guy developing into the kind of guy you would want pitching in the playoffs if everything comes through. This is a guy who I really like. I'm really high on. When I saw him, the, uh, the breaking ball consistently had – had the bite that you're talking about. Wasn't always behind it. When he was behind it, it was a plus pitch. But when he would sometimes snap it off a little bit early, and then you can you can get a better look at it as a hitter in the box, that'll be one thing for him to kind of focus on. But if he throws strikes, generally the stuff's going to play. Absolutely. I mean, you don't find... Yeah, I He doesn't have the best stuff. I, I'd, I'd be hesitant to say he had the best left-handed stuff on the Cape. Matt Crook uh, yeah. has really, really good stuff. But, I mean, Garrett Williams is going to be among the best left-handed college starters or pitchers, stuff-wise, uh, in, in the 2016 draft class. I, I think that's that's fair to say. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty clear. Uh, some other guys, I mean, to that end, I guess, if we want to just stick to the, the left-handed route, Ben Bowden uh, is a pretty exciting guy on this list. I mean, you're talking physical, left-handed, power fastball, really good feel for his off-speed stuff, too. Just dominant out of the bullpen on the Cape this summer and at Vanderbilt. Co-playoff uh, MVP uh, on the Cape with Yarmouth Dennis. Uh, helps them win the uh, win the championship once he gets to the Cape uh, after you know uh, pitching the College World Series for Vanderbilt. He's a guy that... Um, you know, he might he might be able to start. You know, some team that, that drafts him in June might look at him and say, you know, we're going to start you. There's there's a lot of starter traits there. Uh, the history though is all in the bullpen, and it'll be interesting to see just completely in general what Vanderbilt does with their pitching staff this year after yeah, they that's lose gonna be fun. Fulmer, Bueller, and Phil Pfeiffer. Um, but like they have so many different possibilities, he could start for them. He could relieve for them. Whatever he does, like he's going to be a guy that scouts want to go see. He throws hard. He's big. I mean that that's that's a good package from the left side. And you know we we touched on Eric Lauer before, but I mean that's one of my favorite guys in this draft class. I think mm-hmm. he was one of the the top high school player in Ohio in 2013, but uh, firmly committed to going to Kent State, and he's developed just like everyone was hoping he would pretty much uh you, you might hope for a little more velocity uh it's low 90s um but you know he's got he's got some more in there uh when, when he needs it good good secondary stuff slider probably a little ahead of the change up he commands it all well it's one of the loosest easiest deliveries you'll see like it's it's very it's very impressive just just how easy his delivery is. And that's why he commands it so well, because he can repeat his, his yeah, delivery. Yeah, it's very repeatable. And and the thing that sticks out to me about Lauer, and I would say of this college class, he is the best above-the-hands fastball command of anybody in this class. And that's important, because he's he can navigate the top half of the zone so well and steal strikes up there, because that, that's a, a very tempting pitch. And a lot of hitters at this level cannot lay off on, on that pitch as just above the hands. It's a really difficult pitch to square up if you're you're kind of back, backing up and kind of losing balance a little bit to go get that pitch. But the uh, 
yeah, the, the overall package of stuff there, the performance, the looseness of the arm, he's an exciting one. I mean, in this class, the, I mean, the left-handers, when you kind of stack them up like this, they look like a strength. I mean, the, the, the guy who's not on this list is on, not on this list because he's with Team USA. That's A.J. Puck, who I don't know if we're exactly on the same page as AJ Puck, on A.J. Puck. I mean, I don't see him as a 1-1 candidate. You do? Yeah, I mean, A.J. Puck was the number one prospect on Team USA. Um, he's, uh, he's got a lot of things that, that people look for when they're thinking about 1-1. We'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, but I, I think he'll probably be in the mix uh, for 1-1 this spring. But, you know, 6-7, 225, left-handed. I mean, that's, that's an imposing dude. I mean, you don't see guys like that very often. And he gets up to 97 on the fastball. A little more typical, low to mid nineties, but you know, touching ninety seven from the left side, uses his height well, gets uh, gets good downward plane on the pitch, slider and changeup still still developing, uh, but he throws a lot more strikes than you would expect a six seven lefty to throw. Um, you know, it, command is not really an issue for him, which is incredible when you when you think about like some of these guys we've talked about on the Cape and. You know, Sheffield and Hudson and, and Garrett Williams, like they're, they're all they're all further down the list because they they can't throw as many strikes as you'd like to see. Well, AJ Puck is six seven, and you know the taller you are in general, the fewer strikes you throw because they're it's harder to repeat a delivery. There's, yeah, there's more going on, but it's not an issue for him, or it hasn't been much of an issue. See, for him. so I I won't quite agree with that. I mean, I think he has more. He has more general control. I mean, he can go up or down. He doesn't have pinpoint control. And so so I, I won't agree on that point. He's in the strike zone more often. He's in the zone. That there's been times when I've seen him missing up. And when he misses up, that's when he gets hit. And so when you're you're looking at, like, okay, this guy has this guy's throwing a physical left-hander throwing downhill 97, but why is he getting hit? Because he's elevating. He did. He had one of those outings like that with Team USA, um, you know, and that's a thing he's going to have to learn. Uh, his fastball is a little straight. You know, it's not. It's not a movement fastball. It's a plain fastball. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I mean, that that is a thing that that he still has to refine. Yeah, I mean, and, and the same thing can be said of his changeup. The changeup doesn't have exceptional depth or exceptionally late fade. It's more of a field changeup. And a, a plane changeup, so it can still be an effective pitch. And then for me, the the slider is is not is certainly not a plus pitch. It's it's coming from a, a difficult angle, but it's it doesn't have the the power spin to it to kind of signal a plus pitch. And I think it's a I think it's more overall just because he's not consistently behind it. I think it's more of a reliever package, but. There's, there's a lot to like there, and I think he certainly ranks ahead of, of everybody that we've t- discussed on the college side so far. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll see how it sorts out with him and Hanson and the the whole high school discussion of, of Riley Pine and Jason Groom, but I would say those are, are generally the names in terms of the top arms, high school or college. I mean, I, I guess Robert Tyler could be in that discussion if he's healthy and can prove some consistency in the spring. But I think those are kind of that. That's the group of of arms that we're talking about in that discussion. I had felt better about Robert Tyler being in that discussion um, a few months ago. Uh, there were there was a lot of concern um, 
about his, or there's more concern than I'd anticipated uh, about his delivery. And uh, out of high school, his delivery was um, a big part of the reason why he wound up falling in the draft that, um, you know, scouts just weren't, weren't sure that it was going to be good enough to start. And, uh, you know, he's still, he, he's refined it since then, but I guess there's still, still definitely room for improvement. Um, cut some of that effort out and, uh, you know, he throws a hundred and I mean, he's got some really good stuff and he's like a physical right-hander. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he's what they look like. He's, he looks the part the, the to me, the off speed stuff just was kind of underwhelming this summer. He just doesn't miss as many bats as, as you would think he would. Um, he, uh, he's only struck out 88 batters in 104 innings of Georgia. Yeah. I mean, a hundred's nice, but there's there's so much more to being an effective kind of pitcher. I mean, there are plenty of guys who throw a hundred who never sniff the big right. So, so I mean, he he's going to have something to prove to to get into that one one discussion. Right, and then I, I guess to sort of wrap things up on this, I mean, to touch on a handful of guys maybe who you you wanted to put on this list but didn't quite prove it or. You know who's somebody who kind of sticks out to you as a guy who who didn't make this list, in not in terms of guys who didn't play or didn't play enough on the Cape, just guys who were close but didn't quite make the cut. Uh, you know, the the thing about uh, you know any of these lists is like you start doing them and you're like, oh man, how am I going to get to X names? Whether it's a hundred or thirty or even ten, you know, whatever. But you start doing it, and you keep finding guys, and you're like, man, I wish I had more spots. Um, you know, I, I think for me, um, guys that, that missed um, Keegan Aiken uh, out of Western Michigan, lefty, Nick Deeg, Central Michigan, um, two MAC lefties, you know, that, that's, that's a little surprising, but they showed good stuff on the Cape. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, uh, they're kind of just solid, solid college starters that, that looked, you know, they, they definitely they showed they belonged up there. And um, Tommy Edmond. Uh, from Stanford, second baseman, short, short swing, bat to ball kind of guy. Nothing explosive, but solid player. You know, Ricky Thomas kind of fits in with Aiken and Deeg as, as lefties without you know huge stuff. But I mean, all three of those guys have a pretty good idea of what they're doing on the mound. Yeah, I like Thomas. Thomas is an athletic 2017 guy who I mean he doesn't quite have that velocity right now, but. Just the arm action and the athleticism, you can dream on him as a guy who eventually gets to be, you know, a kind of 91, 93 guy, power breaking ball, good feel. He's a guy I like to kind of dream on a little bit. Sean Anderson, Florida righty, um, you know, a little inconsistent, uh, but I mean, he's got some got some interesting stuff there. Ronnie Dawson, Ohio State uh, outfielder slash first baseman. Uh, is that the Ohio State? Or? That, is, that is the Ohio State. It'll be interesting to see uh, what he does this spring. Um, he played so most, strong. Just so strong. He is. And he played a lot of first base on uh, the Cape, which was new to him. But uh, he played for Orleans. And Orleans' prospect They had too many was, prospects. Was absurd. And so he kind of got pushed out of the outfield uh, and to first base. And uh, he could fit either spot. Um so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how how Ohio State uses him, but I mean in, in either case he has to hit. Uh, but I mean he's uh, he's got he's got strength, he's got some power, and um, left-handed bat, 
really, really fast bat. Just so strong and compact too. Not like, again, sort of, I don't know how how tall exactly he is. To me, he's he's more on the shorter side of that that kind of happy medium you look for in a, a hitter's size. Uh, maybe a little too short to, to kind of fit in where I normally think of in that range. But he gets he gets his bat to the ball. I mean, he's, there's some swing and miss to it, but it's a quick bat, man. That, it's, it's an interesting one to watch. Speaking of swing and miss and Orleans prospects, uh, we would be remiss if we did not mention Kyle Lewis. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say somebody else. <laughs> the well, king of swing and miss and home Bobby runs. Bobby Dahlbeck, uh, also uh, swing and miss. Um, he uh, led the league in uh, home runs. Uh, he managed to hit... Okay, so Bobby Dahlbeck, third baseman, Arizona... Um, started the summer with Orleans, then goes to Team USA, and then goes back. So he misses three weeks to play for Team USA. He still leads the Cape with 12 home runs, four ahead of his nearest competitor. He hit two home runs with Team USA, which was the most. And he hit two more home runs in the playoffs. He hit 16 home runs this summer. But... He struck out 46 times in 111 plate appearances on the Cape in the regular season. That's 41% strikeouts. Yeah, that's that's rough. I mean, the the thing is, like, the that kind of issue with him. There's there are aggressive swings, and then there's not a ton of athleticism there. There is some athleticism, but not in your face. This is a guy who can who's really fluid, has really, really quick hands, and kind of can manipulate the barrel really well. And that, that same issue carries over to third base, where there's some question, is this guy going to stick at third base? Or is this, this is, ultimately, this is probably a guy who, who, lends up, who ends up at first base as a power-hitting right, right-handed bat. Yeah, he, uh, he has incredible right-handed power. As a right-right first baseman, that adds complications um but it is important to note that he is a two-way player at arizona he did not pitch anywhere this summer not for orleans not for team usa um he's a better prospect as a hitter um it was right now mm-hmm. um if he when he gives up pitching there would be some hope that he would improve just because he was focusing. That that's always the hope with the two-way guys. Right. So, you know, what that would look like, I mean, we don't know. But if it all comes together for Bobby Dahlbeck, he's a monster because mm-hmm. that right-handed power is very difficult to find. How however, he's he has a lot of a lot of work to do with that swing. Right. And and the a player who's similar but different, but similar in a lot of respects, is Sheldon Noisy, another third baseman on the Cape who I mean, doesn't have premium athleticism and pitches, but you go, you show up at 5 o'clock, that guy looks like a serious dude just in terms of power, strength, bat speed, and then you watch him one game, you might think, oh, wow, he's really using the opposite field. But it seemed like he had issues timing the ball, issues with pitch recognition, and it's the same kind of deal. You throw him on the mound, he's 91, 93, touching higher, good slider. Where is the focus here? There's so much going on, but there's a lot of raw ability. 
when when is it gonna when are you gonna kind of calm down and pick a lane? You know, he's gonna be very interesting to watch in the spring. Like like you mentioned, Oklahoma is a, a very interesting state this year. But to double back, Kyle Lewis. Kyle Lewis, yeah. Uh, so Kyle Lewis uh, from Mercer was the SoCon Player of the Year, and uh, he just carried that momentum right over into the Cape. He was setting the league on fire at the start of the season. Uh, he came back to earth a little bit later in the year, uh, but he still hit 300, 344, 500, seven home runs. One of the most exciting players in the league, I, I think most people would say. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they're with a the you know when I got up to the Cape, I was I'm going to watch Orleans. I'm going to figure out what this guy is. I really need to understand the hype on this guy. And so I saw him a lot. And I unfortunately I saw him on a during a week that he sort of hit a slump a little bit. Um, but the tools are the tools. This is a guy with strength, bat speed, opposite field power. He's not. I mean, the he's not the best runner, but he's better underway in the outfield. The speed plays. This is not. I don't think this is a first baseman. But you watch him out of the bat, the box. He runs like a fullback. Like he will, he will run you over. But it's not like that. It's not more. It's more longer over time. He picks up power rather than like quick strides that he's he's getting to getting off his feet quickly. So the speed is not an element. Arm strength is solid, not not spectacular, but this is a, a guy who fits that sort of power bat, right-handed, right field profile. I mean, I think there's there's going to be issues with with top spin in the swing. Just in, he's got sort of a, a drop hitch load to it, and it kind of bars the lead arm a little bit. So I, I would worry about that. I, I, but I do think we've seen this guy square up a lot of good stuff, and the power is is an unteachable tool. One thing, because I'm kind of obsessed with age uh, and its in, you know, effect on, on prospects, he only turned 20 in July. You know, he's going to be the, one of the youngest players in the, the, one of the youngest college players in the draft class. And, uh, you know, I mean, we can talk about how much that matters, how much that doesn't matter, whatever. But he is, he is young for the class, and, you know, he, he has very exciting tools. And, and on top of that, like, Young for the class is one thing, but when you when you combine it with the athleticism and and what from everything I've heard, excellent makeup and work ethic, this is a guy to really get excited about. In in terms of guys who make adjustments in the big leagues are usually pretty good makeup guys with athleticism. This is what this guy is. I mean, and especially that he's young for the class, that that's just another another good thing in his favor. Individually, it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily mean as much on on the aggregate. The the statistics don't lie. It being young matters right. significantly, especially as you're exposed to high level competition at a young age. But um, yeah, I mean, we could talk about Kyle Lewis all day. Like, but he is uh, he's part of the this larger picture that got painted this summer. That for once, there are a lot of college outfield bats. Yeah. Um, Team USA's best hitters were its three outfielders, Corey Ray, Buddy Reed, Nick Banks. Uh, in the Cape, you had Kyle Lewis, you had Brian Reynolds, you had Ryan Bolt, you had Jaron Kendall, who's a 2017, but you had Steven Wren. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of outfielders in this college class this year, and that's an interesting demographic historically 
It's not one that goes particularly high, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to this year because there are a lot of very good ones, and they're very athletic, and they hit the ball, and you know, I mean that that's where the college bats are by and large. Yeah, and and so many of them made adjustments this summer and and showed the ability to do that, and to the point where it's like. Ordering them is going to be a really tough task for these scouting departments this this fall, kind of figuring out where they all stand and then figuring out who they're really in on once the spring comes. Because if you're looking for a left-handed bat who has a chance to play center field, take your pick. There's like three or four of those guys who might might be able to fit that profile. So it is, it's a very deep, and then you, you get into that that next tier of outfielders, which is is pretty solid too, when you you think about like just a lot of the guys who might end up in the outfield who are in the dirt right now, like it's it's a very deep college outfield crap crop, not crap, it's not crap, it's good, it's a good thing, the but then to that same end, the infield talent not. Not as not nearly as good as last year's class. No, I mean last year obviously was a historic year for shortstops. Um, you know, with the top three picks being shortstops and like six uh, first round shortstops, that's not there this year, and it's not there on the high school or the college side. Mm-hmm. Those obvious, uh, both with the Cape and Team USA. Uh, Team USA, uh, its shortstop this year was uh, from Missouri, Ryan Howard. Uh, Ryan Howard was a draft eligible sophomore who didn't get selected until like the 35th round, I want to say. Um, and some interesting are, tools, but not really that like doesn't jump out at you as a guy who's definitely a shortstop. And 31st no, round. Nothing, nothing explosive about his game. Yeah, and I mean going to the 31st round, there are complicating factors, obviously, but you know, I mean that that's that's who Team USA had as their shortstop on the Cape, the top middle infielder was Errol Robinson from Ole Miss. Uh, he's probably the best college shortstop at this point. I'm, I'm a big fan of Errol Robinson, probably more than most. Um, I, I think that that guy's a total shortstop, up-the-middle type, and has the contact skills to be sort of a, a defense-first guy who whacks the ball, get, gets on base a little bit, and steals some bags too. I know that not everybody feels that way, but that's sort of how I view him. I think he's the, the clear top shortstop in the college class right now. Yeah, there's some concerns, uh, especially with his arm strength, that he might be more of a second baseman. Uh, you know, we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, but you know, just in general, shortstop, second base, not a spectacular year for that. Right. I mean, Brigman would be the other the other guy on there, and he's more... I mean, he he sticks out from to me more because of his what he can do with the bat. I mean, just a quick bat who can really, really put the ball. He's in play. just a really good baseball player. Like at the that yeah. that's like he he filled more of a utility role uh, for Team USA. He played mostly second, um, but you know uh, when there were injuries in the outfield, he went out and he played left field. He can play shortstop. Uh, you know, I mean, he's got a lot of utility, uh, and he just finds a way to put a bat on the ball. And uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you can do that, there will be a spot for you. But um, none of these guys are – there's no Dansby Swanson. There's no Alex Bregman in this draft. There's probably not even – there, there's no those guys. There's no Kevin Newman. There's no Richie Martin. 
I don't even know that there's Kyle Holder in this class. So I think there. Well, there's certainly no Kyle Holder because I mean, we'll get there, it. we so, could get into a whole discussion on Kyle Holder just from a whole bunch of the things I heard this weekend, trying to help with some uh, New York Penn League stuff. The signs are not going in the right direction for Kyle Holder, but but yes, the. And then there's there seems like it seems and correct me if, if I'm wrong but it seems like there's more bat first guys who are playing up the middle positions defensively right now like Solak I I don't know I mean second baseman probably not like yeah I mean Nick Solak and Kevin Biggio both both around the Cape both second baseman Solak played left field for Louisville this spring but moved back to second base uh, on the Cape and that's probably where he's going to be for Louisville um, again this spring we'll see but. Um, yeah, I mean, those guys are, are interesting because of what they can do as hitters. Um, right, they may be able to play those positions, but they're I mean, they're not. I mean, we're talking about second base. We're talking about college second baseman here, and that's... Um, right, that's not the, the ideal phylum. Uh, Biggio, though. Biggio, I don't know how he hits. Man, that, he, has the, he has the Sheffield bat waggle. Yeah, I mean, he uh, he like Gary Sheffield uh, does the very pronounced bat wag, uh, but they both stop it in plenty of time to like load up. Like I could never pull that off, but if you're a good enough athlete, like you can stop messing around and then like get to a fine position. Yeah, I mean, I guess it, the idea is that it keeps the wrists loose. And, I mean, if that's a problem for it's you, it's strange to me that he does it because his father doesn't do it or didn't do it. Um, and, you know, if there's one guy that you would figure you would look to to emulate, it would be the guy with 3,000 hits that's your father. But, uh, you know, it, it works for him. Uh, he didn't have quite a spectacular cape. He was third on the cape with a 425 on base and led the league with 31 walks. Uh, but he's generally a he, – he has a long track record of hitting. Yeah, I mean, he – He's interesting. I'm, I wasn't as big of a fan, but I mean, there's there's bat to ball skills and decent that, I mean, that he, that's what he has to do. I mean, he that he has to put the bat on the ball. You know, he had, he is what he is. He's not going to hit for a ton of power. He's not he's not a speedster. He's a second baseman. He's not a shortstop. Uh, you know, so he has to hit. He and Solak both just they have to hit. They're they're similar. In uh, in that they're they're patient bat to ball guys without you know a ton of speed or power. So I mean they just have to do what they do. They just have to keep putting the bat on the ball. A hundred percent. And then uh, I guess to kind of close this discussion off, there's a couple catchers on this list. Catching was really down last year's class, so much so that you saw I think a lot of guys get picked more way ahead of where the general consensus was on them because there was just such a lack of, of college catching ready to go. A couple guys on this list, uh, the one that, that kind of really made himself, made a name for himself, Sean Murphy from Wright State. Your impressions of Murphy, that, that kind of area looking pretty good this year when you talk about Lauer and Murphy and a yeah. handful of those guys. Ohio, Ohio's going to be a, a hot spot this year. Yeah. Um, you know, Murphy, um, he's just a really good defender, you know, catch and throw guy, you know, really, really strong arm, definitely a plus arm. And, uh, you know, he calls games well uh, by all accounts. And, 
Uh, you know, he, he's just good behind the plate, and he's going to be you know that kind of solid defensive guy that, that that teams look for in a catcher. Uh, he did not hit super well this year, this summer. Two twenty six. Um, there is some bat speed. There is some bat speed. There's some swing and miss with that. Uh, as a catcher, if he can be as good defensively as he you know, has been, the bar for his bat is going to be lower. Um, right. So we'll see. We'll see how that all plays out. Uh, and then Jake Rogers is the other one, another defense-first guy. He hit a little better this summer, but uh, at Tulane, he has almost no track record of hitting at all. Uh, right. Sean Murphy has hit at Wright State, and you know the Horizon League is a little bit easier uh, competition-wise, but uh, there is a, a better track record for guys to look at. Yeah, I think the, the general consensus is that uh, Rogers maybe even better catcher defensively than, than Murphy, but there's less optimism on the bat. And and for that reason, like the I remember having a, a discussion with one scout about Rodgers, and it was like, basically the, the exact quote is, he started off was, he's a big leaguer. He's, I feel confident with how good his defense is right now that he's going to play in the big leagues. How good of a big leaguer he is is going to be completely determined on how good the bat ends up being, which this particular scout was not not enthusiastic about. There is some bat speed that you can put the ball in the opposite field pretty well, but not explosive tools offensively. I mean, but he's he's got a plus arm too. He's thrown out fifty percent of base stealers in his college career. You know, he showed well on the Cape. Very game. quick transfer. Very quick gets the ball out quickly. Yeah, you know, I mean, so that that that's the kind of thing that backup catchers are made of. You know, and, and then if you hit more, you become more. But you know, I mean, that if you're uh, really strong defensively as a catcher, there will be a spot for you because it's such a hard thing to do. Right, and and there's there's always like the this desire to have like this all around stud defensively who can hit the ball and do it with power. Just I mean, you'd love the, to the find that in every position. Game. The reality of this game is that that position is so demanding that to find somebody who can do it all is just so difficult. I mean, Buster Posey, Buster Posey and Yadier Molina are like they're they're very they're, yeah. they're who, very, who's the next best one after that? Like, right. Exactly. The, yeah. I mean, they are who they are, and uh, I mean, you don't find guys like that every day. And you'd ideally find a guy that was an all-around hitter and a really good defender at every position. But you know, that's just not how <laughs> he's got six plus not, tools. That's good. They're not. They're not guys. They're not. They're not enough guys for all thirty teams to have guys like that at every position. There's not enough guys like that for thirty teams to have even one of those guys. Right. They're, yeah. So Teddy, I guess uh, to wrap things up now, any final thoughts uh, on the Cape and the process and kind of just doing it this year, and then we can call it quits. I think we've gone pretty long on this one. Yeah. I mean, uh, obviously the the Cape. You know, we love talking about it, uh, but it's it's really just the start for for scouts. You know, this is this is about for them. It's about building uh, building out spring follow lists. So you know, where they are now is not where they're going to end up, and that's important to remember that that you can rank highly on a cape list, you can show well on the cape, but you know it. They're they're going to be watching in fall ball. They're going to be watching all spring, and and decisions have not been made in any way, and and minds minds are still going to be changed over the next year or however many months we have until till the draft. Exactly. And 
that that about does it. Uh, if you want to check out the list, you can see the full list on baseballamerica.com. You can also check out all of the the summer league top prospect lists. Some most of the other leagues more focused on underclassmen, but some good talent in there. You can read about all that stuff on baseballamerica.com. Uh, go on our site now. You can subscribe. A tremendous resource. We go into a lot of depth and kind of uh, really nitpick uh, these leagues. So that does it for Baseball America podcast. For Ted Cahill, I'm Hudson Polinski. Thanks for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.